we think of creativity as this mysterious force that only some people have access to. The reality is that it's something that we can all stimulate, that we have the power to kind of mine and find. Thanks to Shopify for supporting my podcast. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big business. For a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features, go to shopify.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited for today's episode because Guy Raz is here. Before we jump into this, I just want to let you know that we have some tickets available for the two-day event I am doing at the end of October, the 20th and the 21st. It's a two-day workshop with performances by Andy Grammer and Rachel Platten. You're also going to hear from Candace Nelson, who created Sprinkles Cupcakes. You're also going to hear from Jerisha Hawk, who's an incredible business leader and coach. You're also going to hear from my personal nutritionist who has helped me recently get so much healthier and really find ways to hopefully increase my well-being and longevity of life. You're also going to be hearing from Mark Groves and Amy Purdy. This is going to be an event not to be missed, and we're doing a flash sale right now so that if you use the code GATHER, you get the ticket for 50% off. So this is a two-day event with live music performances from two of my favorite singer-songwriters, and I just cannot wait to spend this time with you. If you would like to go grab those tickets, you can go to kathyheller.com slash friends, and you can go ahead and use the code GATHER so that you can get a 50% off code, which is good until this Friday. I love you guys so much, and I love getting to do things in person. So I really hope to see you guys there October 20th and the 21st in Los Angeles. All right, well, today's episode is so good because Guy Raz is back. Many of you probably know him as the creative force who gave life to How I Built This, which is one of the best podcasts there is and more valuable than getting a business degree just listening to his podcast. That is a fact. He's also a New York Times bestselling author, founder, and CEO of Built It Productions, co-founder of Tinkercast, former host and co-creator of the TED Radio Hour, and he's the host and creator of Wow in the World and Wisdom from the Top. Oh my gosh, he is so busy doing cool things. But since that wasn't enough... He decided to do more and bless us with a new podcast, and it's called The Great Creators. In this podcast, Guy explores questions like, where does creativity come from? Is it something we're born with, or can it be learned? And he sits down with some of the most celebrated creative folks like Stephen Colbert, Audra McDonald, Zoe Deschanel, Nick Kroll, and Andy Garcia, to name a few, to investigate the source of creativity in their own life. And this show just launched last week. You have to go listen to it because everything Guy pours his heart and soul into is gold. It is such a gift to have him back on the podcast today because he is one of the titans in the podcasting industry. In fact, he became the first person in the history of podcasting to have three shows in the top 20 on the Apple podcast charts. And this month he's celebrating 25 years in broadcasting. But what's really remarkable is that not only is he a master at his craft, but he's very kind and he's very humble and he has such an open heart, which I think is truly the key to all his success. So without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Guy Raz. Guy Raz. I love you. You have paved the way for me, for every other person I know who's enjoying podcasting right now. God bless you. I want to kiss your Kepala. And um, you're here again because you're an insanely productive human who has another thing that you decided to do. And so we're here to talk about it. So What's happening now? You have another big idea that you're yes. going to do something with? Um, thank you for that introduction, Kathy. It's I, right back at you. You are so warm and kind and you make everybody feel so comfortable. Um, so thank you for saying that. Um, you know, I do have a new show and it's funny. I'm not actually that particularly organized or efficient. I'm actually, I feel like I'm very inefficient and very disorganized, but wow. what I've managed to learn over, you know, 25 years of of sort of making audio. And really, I would say the last five years of trying to make a lot of it is to unlearn the things that I thought made a person a good leader. And the, the key to it is not micromanaging, is letting people lead. And actually, 
bringing people onto your team who will lead you too. And so what we've done over the last That is so years, beautiful. Can I just stop and pause around that? Can we get Seth Godin in here to have a whole five hour conversation about what you just said? That is such an important thing coming out of your mouth. It's really, it's something that has taken me a long time to learn. It's funny because I preached this for a long time. And, and what I've learned is that a lot of people who preach things don't always follow those things, including myself. And, and so sort of learning to let others lead you in your own organization is really important. And that's, it's been a, a kind of the secret weapon. It's allowed me to do how I built this. We've expanded how I built this to two episodes a week. We've got how I built this lab. So we're doing 88 episodes of that show a year. It's allowed us to do wisdom from the top. I do a kid's podcast called wow in the world and we do live shows. And now we've got this new program called the great creators that is, you know, just out into the world. And it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. This concept is an idea that I've wanted to do for at least five years. And I've been talking about it with people. And so finally, we can put it out into the world. Oh my gosh. There's so much possibility is just beaming through you all the time because it's kind of like when I had my third (laughs) child and I was like, how am I going to have more capacity for loving someone else? I'm already in love with my two kids. And then you're like, oh no, when you... When you're really in the zone, you have this endless amount of love. And I listen to you and I'm like, you, no wonder you called this the great creators. Cause like you really do that. You find a way to be so in the zone that you could just keep creating. So I want to know how is this different and more feeling like it's answering and checking another box of a thing you want to say? that how I built this and everything else hadn't, and this is fulfilling yet yet another thing. What is different about it? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I would say as a mom of three kids, like that is, that is really hard, right? That's, that's where you're (laughs) like, wait, how do you do all those things? And, you know, we have two kids and they're already sort of teens and preteens. So it's a little easier. You know, to me, it's not about like ticking a box or saying, okay, now I want to do this or I want to, and the thing that it goes for you and for a lot of creators, it's about stretching yourself create creatively because it, it keeps us alive. And it, it actually, for me to create other shows, it helps me get better at how I built this or at, at wow in the world or wisdom from the top. It helps me become a better interviewer every time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, I really wanted to sort of mine this idea of creativity because we think of creativity as this mysterious, Force that only some people have access to. The reality is we don't really understand where creativity comes from in the brain. I mean, we don't know for sure where it is, if there is a place in the brain, but we do know that it's something that we can all stimulate, that we have the power to kind of mine and find. And, and it doesn't mean that we're painting the Mona Lisa, but it means that we might approach our day in a different way. We might organize our time in a different way. We might come up with a new way of structuring how we do what we do. I mean, all of those things are about creativity. So what I wanted to do was talk to people who we traditionally think of as creative actors, musicians, comedians, you know, who basically embody characters like you are, I don't know, Christian Bale, and you are this person, and then you become that person, or you are, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, or any actor you can think of who has to pretend so convincingly that they're this person that we believe them. And I wanted to find out, you know, more about their lives, how they became who they became, how they got to where they are, and then also where they find creativity, where they go to get better at what they do in the hopes of like, you know, like how I built this isn't just for people who are interested in business. It's for anyone. I want this show to similarly be a way for people to think about creativity in their own lives. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I can see how much that's turning you on. Like, (laughs) because you are, like I said, so clearly a great creator yourself that I love that you decided to fulfill this curiosity around how really have I been able to set up my own psyche and my own day so that I allow all of this to come through and what are other people doing? And you're right. Like what you said about creativity and it is so nebulous and we don't always think that 
we have access to it. I remember asking Julia Cameron, who wrote this book, The Artist's Way. I had her on the show two times. Sure, famous I, book. Famous book. I remember yeah. reading it like with a group of friends and we all did the exercises together for weeks. And I said to her, do you really believe that every person is creative? And she said, well, let me ask you a different question. Have you ever been in a preschool classroom and seen a child who's not creative or who doesn't get excited about putting paint on the walls? And I'm like, whoa. So she started to say that there's a recovery process, at least what she discovered. What have you so far discovered about creativity and how we can access it? I mean, the simplest thing that I've learned, and we've had incredible interviews, and I can't wait for people to hear them. I mean, Stephen Colbert and Audra McDonald, the most awarded stage love, actor in, in history, um, the Chainsmokers talking about how they make music, Ryan Tedder, who's written like seven number one hits for other artists, including Adele and Beyonce, and then like a bunch of hits for himself as the lead singer of One Republic, you know, Nick Kroll. I mean, so many amazing people. What you discover is that, look, not all of us are going to be writing music at Ryan Tedder's level or doing creative things at Nick Kroll's level. But that's not what this is about. What it's about is it, and what I've learned from these conversations is that all of these people, and if you take your analogy of preschoolers, they were all in the preschool classroom building blocks or running sure. around and constructing something, just like all of the other kids. But what they do, what they've done, and what they do is they continue to build on what they're doing. And it's essentially a growth mindset. It's this idea that, I can get better and better and better at what I do. There's some professions where you can't get better at what you do, like professional sports. Like LeBron James will not be a better basketball player when he's 55 than when he was 25 because of physical limitations. But at 55, he's going to be a much wiser business thinker or leader. You know, he's going to be a much more creative thinker. And that's the amazing thing about creativity is that it's something that continues to get better and better if you practice it, if you try things. One of the most amazing things that, and it's probably self-evident, but one of the most amazing commonalities that I've seen among a lot of great actors, and I, you know, Stephen Colbert is one of the first people on, on the show to talk about this, is improv. The idea that when you're trained in improv, you're basically trained to build on someone else's idea the classic yes and, right? So so you, ha Kathy, have an idea and I say, yes, and a giraffe doing ballet on a hypersonic spaceship in a banana tutu. And then you say, yes, and eating a, a giant veggie burger or whatever it might be. That practice- Not, not bad, guy. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that, but it's, and it's not literally that everybody has to be an improv, but it's this idea that you build on your ideas and yeah. then you build on other people's ideas around you. And it actually makes you better. The, the more you do it, the easier it is to tap into the creativity that is buried inside of you. And that's, that's really what I've learned. That's so fascinating because in the work I've done studying mindfulness and doing meditation retreats, I find that there is this sort of clasping onto the predictable and all that we really desire is in this space of spontaneity, but yet it costs us the ego's need for getting it right or wanting to get approval and make sure that the ROI is very clear on what we're doing and everyone's going to be co-signing that we didn't waste our time. And so it's kind of like this interesting battle between your higher consciousness and this part of you that holds on to certainty so much that like you can't quite have improv if you are voting and campaigning for certainty right and so totally how do you in your own experience as a creative give yourself the permission to be in a process so that you allow for there to be a messy laboratory of ideas. Because I think that's the ocean to cross for most people that feels very, very unsettling and very scary. I think, well, the shorter answer is this show, right? Because we are, <laughs> I'm putting myself out there. Now, of course, it's a little different. I've had 25 years of experience as an interviewer, and I try to get better and better at it. But you never know, right? Like I, I think people are going to want to hear stories from, you know, Andy Garcia about 
his incredible acting career or Graham Nash talking about how he met, you know, David Crosby and Stephen Stills one night at Joni Mitchell's house in the beginning so of, cool. of, of that band. Yeah. But really what I've realized is that in every case with every celebrity, right, that I've interviewed on the show so far, they've all taken huge risks and they've all experienced ridicule, right? So, so to, to your point, this idea that, you know, I think a lot of us are, we live in a world or we live in whether, you know, you're in a particular industry or you work for a certain company or organization, we often get programmed to think it's got to be perfect. I can't take risks. I'll be embarrassed if this fails. But the problem with that mindset, and I, I have had that mindset in the past. I have a hundred percent been in, in that position, but the problem with it is you don't grow. It's like any form of exercise. Mm-hmm. Essentially, when you exercise, when you do yoga or you lift weights, you are kind of injuring yourself in tiny ways in order to regrow, right? You are tearing muscles, micro tears in order to grow them, or you are stretching your your muscles in order to become more limber. And it's the same thing with creativity. You know, like Stephen Colbert, he really struggled to kind of make it until really until his late 30s. He didn't become the host of the late show until he was 50. I mean, he was already at, a, at an age where a lot of people might oh be God. written off. I mean, I never you know, really thought that thought. I never you know, really received that message, but about him, but that's, that's big, right? It's big. I mean, he had to, and he talks about this amazing thing at the beginning of his career. I don't want to give all of it away, but he was like that. He had that mindset of, I've got to read the script. I've got to be perfect. It's got to be exactly as it's written. Yeah. I've got to perform it that way. And one night he was on stage with two very now also famous actors. I won't give the story away, but they essentially deliberately sabotaged him in, a, in order to, in order to get him out of his comfort zone. They did in a loving way, but it was really hard on him. It, it was mortifying. It was embarrassing. He felt undermined, but in the end, he understood what they were doing. They had to essentially break him in order to get him to exactly this. Uh, this I can't this wait to hear this interview. That, that is that so interesting. About, right. Which wow. is you have to get out of your comfort zone. And it doesn't mean you have to run through the streets naked. It can be small incremental steps. But in order to grow in any way, you have to put yourself out there and accept that it might fail. It yeah. might not work. I love that you're kind of putting that here as like a fait accompli. Like, yes, you will get some resistance and contrast. That's part of it. So instead of worrying that it's going to happen, the problem isn't that it happens. The problem is thinking it's not supposed to, right? When Harry Connick Jr. was on this show, he said, I tell my daughters, give yourself something to edit. Like, you're not going to put out there the first pass of the song. You're going to begin there. And so what you're doubling down on is like, of course, right? Instead of being so worried that that happens, you actually unfold this awareness that that is part of the process. And then you can allow yourself to have moments like that. And that is so big. You also said something earlier about the yes and. And what I want to ask you is, How much of the creativity in your own life and in the people you've sat with do you feel comes through collaboration, comes through the whole big being bigger than the sum of each person's part? Because I know James Altucher tells me that like he really attributes so much of his success to giving other people ideas or like generously just like being so excited for someone in a conversation that then he has so many opportunities because people really respond to how much he wants to give away. And he's like, oh, no, no, I really was just trying to be collaborative with you. It was just a fun, creative exercise to help you. But now, oh, my gosh, it leads him to so many of his best inventions. And I don't know that people get that. They feel as though they're siloed. And we've been quarantined way before quarantine was a thing. So how do you how do you see that dynamic play out of collaborative work? I mean, what James is saying, it resonates so deeply because it's so true. I mean, in, in, in every single example, because the, the show isn't about celebrities. Of course, I'm interviewing very famous people. And part of the idea behind the show is 
is for you as a listener to understand that they are actually like you, that they are familiar. You know, with how I built this, I wanted people to hear that show and say, you know what? Howard Schultz isn't that different from me. There was a time in his life where people wouldn't take his call, where he was like pounding the pavement, trying to, you know, sell things to people and they were slamming the door in his face. And the process of building something was hard and challenging and took time. And it's the same kind of approach that I, I'm trying to take with very famous people, like, you know, people who you see in films and television, and then you hear that they felt or feel at times incredibly self-conscious, that they've had moments where their self-confidence has been totally shattered, a bad review, you know, hearing from Zoe Deschanel about how she almost quit her career right before a new girl was, you know, kind of came to her. I mean, she thought she was finished. And, you know, to this point about collaboration, what you realize is that in the creative world, right, the things that we traditionally call creative, like music, film, art, whatever, it relies on collaboration. No one is writing something in a dark room by themselves and then just presenting it to the world. It never happens. It always goes through other people who can weigh in on ideas. And that's how the best ideas come about. I mean, you think about somebody like Ryan Tedder, okay? Ryan Tedder, one of the most creative people in the world. He is the front man for One Republic. They've had a string of top 10 hits that he's written, but he also spends a huge amount of his time writing music for other people, Leona Lewis and Ellie Goulding and Adele and Beyonce. And his process isn't going to a, a room and sitting down and starting to write a song for Adele. He's going to a room with Adele and a group of other people. And he's saying, let's talk about what's going on in your life. What's in your head? You know, he has a conversation. He's trying to figure out what Adele wants to say or Beyonce wants to say. And it becomes this collaborative process or Taylor Swift. That is how virtually all creative content is produced. You know, what? even with how I built this, even with this show, it's about a conversation that builds on an idea. And some of those ideas aren't initially obvious. Some of those ideas might seem stupid, but this practice applies like what James Altucher was saying. It applies to business. It applies to any other field because if you have a space, if you have a group of people who feel secure and safe enough to throw out stupid ideas, you are going to come out with great ideas. You need a lot of ideas in order to have good ideas. Some of those ideas are going to be bad ideas. And so the key to any kind of creative endeavor, whether you're writing a movie script or you're coming up with a new product design or you're trying to figure out how to restructure your organization, which is a form of creativity, it requires an environment where everybody can feel comfortable enough to actually throw out what they might feel to be a stupid idea. Because from those stupid ideas, you use the yes and method to build on it. You essentially take the techniques of improvisation which so many of these artists use and you create something magical. I love that. And speaking of magical, I just want to give you a very sincere compliment, which is that's what you do so well. And that's why for 25 years, you have been a great interviewer. It's because you create a space where people can just take a deep breath and they feel your genuine curiosity and the humility that you bring into the space. And that's why you started this conversation by talking about leadership being so much about a team who excels beyond what you tell them to do. And you wouldn't be able to do 19,000 things if you didn't have a safe space where people felt they loved working with you because so that is really important for people to hear. And now I want to zoom out for a second and talk about you as a creator and talk about podcasting as a medium, because as I sit and witness you kind of when you're just like, you know, hitting balls, like, like just out of Fenway Park, I sit here and think to myself, you could be doing anything and you keep doubling down on podcasting. And there's a reason. What is it about the medium of podcasting that you are so aware is so powerful because you could be creating any kind of content and any kind of experience. And yet there's something about podcasting itself that is really lighting up for you as a very powerful place where human beings come together. Why is that so? I mean, I think there are 
amazing things being done in all mediums, right? In, in television, YouTube, print. And I don't rule those things out. I mean, I do from time to time things here and there. And, and at some point may do television or more video. And there have been discussions around that, but it's, as you know, it's sometimes schedules and calendars are really challenging to, to align. But the thing I love about audio, especially podcasting, that type of audio is without breaks. And, you know, when you can listen to whenever you want is I can communicate to one person, you know, I'm talking to one person. There might be three and a half million people who listen to how I built this every week, but I don't think of it that way. It's not like a mass medium where I'm projecting out. It's not like I'm standing on, you know, on the papal balcony and speaking to millions of people. (laughs) It's really one person. And it creates a really powerful relationship with listeners. It's it's something that I I never experienced when I wasn't broadcasting terrestrial radio, for example. The power of being able to take time and to build nuance and to really explore ideas or a person's life story in a contextual way, in a meaningful way, is unprecedented. And there's something about the human voice alone that enables that. You know, I love video. Video is awesome. And, you know, we're here on video too, but you lose something when you, when you're just absorbing it through the visual medium, because there's so many cues in the human voice that are emotionally resonant, that are nuanced, that, you know, whether it's the cadence or the tone or the word choice, they're things that our voice, our voices signal that you lose when you're watching somebody's face because so much of our brain power is spent processing visualization. And the thing I love about just the voice is it's like you're shut out. There's nothing to see. You're like, it's like being blind and it forces you to really connect with a person's voice and all that comes with it. And so Mm, for me, it's just, you know, it's been a really powerful way to communicate with people and to connect with people and I think it's primarily for all of those reasons. That's incredible. I was like driving down, we live in Mandeville Canyon. I was driving down the Canyon a week ago and listening to the greatest showman. And I was thinking yeah. about this song, a million dreams. And it, it occurred to me, even though I've sang it so many times that the song lyric is I close my eyes and I can see. Yeah. And I thought, It's so true. Like whenever I've like wished on a candle on a cake or been in meditation or prayer, I close my eyes and I can see so much further with my eyes closed. And what you just said was so beautiful. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but that there's so much nuance that we pick up in just listening to the voice. It's kind of the difference maybe between reading a book and watching a movie and the experience people say, that just can't be compared when you're reading the book because you're not visualizing what's being handed to you. Instead, you're seeing way beyond those dimensions. And I think there is a cinematic quality to the way that a podcast can unfold. I mean, I consciously try to do that with all of my shows, which is to kind of over the course of the hour, whatever it is, to kind of unspool this very visual conversation. So it might be hearing from Nick Kroll about being a student at Georgetown University where his classmates were like John Mullaney and Mike Birbiglia, (laughs) you know, who they were all in the same like improv troupe together and like going to the dining hall together and Alison Becker. I mean, just amazing to imagine like these stories or like Andy Garcia, who was waiting tables in Hollywood when he first arrived and just like five, four or five years later, making dinner with Francis Ford Coppola talking about being in The Godfather 3. I mean, he really, That's you know, this kid from Miami who was a Cuban immigrant who knew nobody, he's waiting tables. He's he's serving Francis Ford Coppola at a dinner. And just a few years later, he's in his living room having dinner with them, talking about, you know, starring in Godfather 3. So there's a, a real power to kind of, so awesome. everyone experiences that differently. Yeah. You know, the movie that you, you have in your head is different from everyone else listening. And it's why I think this, this medium is so powerful because 
it's so individual. Everyone has their own experience with it. So great. You're going to inspire everybody to not only listen to your show, but then listen to it and start a podcast after every time they hear an episode, they go record something, uh, which is a really good idea, by the way, if you're listening. This conversation is so good. Before we keep going, we're going to thank our sponsor. Did you hear that? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. For a free 14-day trial, go to shopify.com slash dreamjob, all lowercase. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving you the resources once reserved for big business, customized for you with a great-looking online store that brings your idea to life and tools to manage and drive sales. I love that Shopify makes it so easy for anyone to run their own business and sets you up to build the knowledge and confidence to succeed. So they give you the tools to help you find customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, and so much more. You can even get started with your online store without any coding or any design experience. But if you do need help, they have 24-7 support. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash dreamjob, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash dream job right now. I want to ask you about your podcast success. You've done so many and there's something to be said for when you just said, well, three and a half million people are listening to this a week. Like, guy, there are maybe 10 podcasts out of the millions of podcasts that everybody knows when they think of podcasts. And then after that, it's a way big gap between like the next tier of people, right? And that is no small thing. It's amazing. Like how you've created this level of engagement. It's the level of momentum that it would take a rocket to launch. That's how powerful it is. It's like, there is no Oprah show anymore, right? That's a dinosaur. The biggest audiences being cultivated right now really in an engaged sense, not just data and viewership, but like those people, right? Those podcasters, and you're one of them. When you look back on starting just how I built this, for instance, and where you are now, what are some of the things that you glean? Like, I think this had something to do with it. Like, I think this might be a clue that you listening could take with you if you want to create even one ounce of that kind of engagement and success. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, to be in the company with all those, you know, creators is is pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, obviously every show is different. I've been in this this space for a long time, since I was 22. I started out in broadcasting. And I think w- what I have tried to do over the course of my career, and certainly when I really started pod- getting into podcasting in, in around 2011, was to really think about how to be a better interviewer, not through the questions I asked, but through the silence in those conversations. You know, learning to be a listener was really the kind of turning point for me because I had been a reporter for a long time. The beginning of my career, I was a foreign correspondent. I lived in Iraq and Afghanistan and Jerusalem. And I covered conflicts and I lived in Europe and it was amazing. And during that time, I remember I would have these interviews with people when I was a younger reporter. And I, I remember feeling like that really worked. Like there was something about that conversation that was more powerful, more interesting. There's more information from that interview that is useful and important. And I started to see that those conversations came about when I really spent my energy listening, actively listening to what somebody was saying to the point where we were like, I was building on almost like improv. I was building on the thing they just said, you know, and this is basically what you're doing in this conversation. That really helped me to think about being a better interviewer and not just being a better interviewer in the sense of like, I'm here to show you how skilled I am. No, not at all. It's to make sure that the yeah. guest who I'm talking to feels like they are comfortable enough to talk about things that are uncomfortable. It's not the job of an interviewer to do PR for their guest, but it's the job of the interviewer to help the guest understand that 
you know, obviously context specific, but with what I do, and I think with what you do to help the guests understand that they're in a space where everything they say will be contextualized. So it's important to talk about the good and the bad, the challenging and the seamless, whatever it might be. And I think that over time, that approach really helped me to get better and to continue to get better at what I do. And I think that, you know, listening, it seems very easy and it seems very obvious, but I still, I'm still learning how to do it all the time. I mean, it's really putting your energy into the words that the person is saying to the point where when I finish an interview and I do about two interviews a day, which is the maximum I can usually do because they're very long, I'm exhausted, emotionally, physically tired. It takes a lot out of me because I put a lot into it. And that's when you know that maybe you're on the right track. That's so amazing. You know, it's been years, probably because of COVID, but also maybe because of interest or having little kids. We we don't really go to synagogue very often. And my kids started a new school, Stephen S. Wise. And so we went to this on top of the hillside, this service. And we went for Shabbat, which we hadn't done in years. And I wanted to be there for this back to school Shabbat. And the rabbi said, we're about to do this silent part. It's called the Amidah. It's silent. And he said, um, we have this uncomfortable relationship with silence in our culture. And I want to invite you to spend the next few moments seeing if you could lean into silence and give that gift to your neighbor as well. And I had never thought those thoughts in relationship to being there or at any point of the service. And he gave us permission to acknowledge how uncomfortable we are with silence and then to actually get something really beautiful out of the space and giving that to the people around us that we don't have to fill this time. We don't have to engage in words. And it was powerful for me. And I was happy that I went and I was happy my kids heard that. And I think what happens when people are with other people is they feel that they need to be impressive. And in order to be impressive, they need to fill the space. And you just said, the exact opposite, that you reflected on moments when things seemed to be very beautiful. And you said, I think I was willing to stop needing to be liked or impressive and give someone a lot of space. And when in our culture or in any culture, probably in other cultures, there there is this, but when do you see people really being given a lot of space. And that takes a lot for you to let go of your need for being seen. So I love that you just said that. And that makes a lot of sense why the show then became what it is. When you said active listening, you said that like three times. For people who are just hearing these words for the first time, what does that mean to you to actively listen? It means... Exactly that. I mean, it means like basically any form of being active. It's really focusing on the words and also the meaning and the expression of the person who's talking to you, whether you're listening to them or looking at them or both. I mean, it is one of the most generous things I think we can do as humans is to actively listen. And when you're actively listening, you are honoring somebody's story or their words. You are showing them respect for their ideas, even if you don't always agree with them or they may not resonate right away. What you're doing is you're saying, it's it's sort of like a way of saying, I hear you and please continue. I'm here to hear you and to listen to you because sometimes we can listen to people, but we don't always hear them. You know, like listening is just a physical act. Our ears are open, we're listening. But to hear somebody you're really taking those words almost like they're words floating into your head and you're really you're really allowing yourself to absorb those words you know going back to this theme of silence um, i love that theme because you're right we are uncomfortable with silence as a species right humans don't like it and one of my favorite things to do and i do this pretty much every weekend is to hike up in the hills in the mountains of sonoma county about an hour from where i live in the bay area And we have a little place up there and we're there on the weekends. And every weekend we hike, my wife and my kids. And one of the 
most joyful things about those hikes is we are silent. I mean, our kids are usually about half a mile behind us talking, but my wife and I, who's we've been together for 22 years, a lot of our, our hiking is silent and in silence. And it's just accepting and enjoying the sounds around us, the wind through the leaves or a bird or just crunching on the ground. That is so powerful and rejuvenating. And I can't explain for me. It's like a walking meditation, you know, but I'm like that too. I mean, I'm like most other people when I'm with people I, I don't know very well, you do want to fill the silence. And it's something that I work on because you're right. I mean, silence is, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And the more we get comfortable with it, actually, the more it can create a connection between people in a, in a sort of a strange way. I love that so, you just painted that picture of you and your wife having an amazing moment together without needing to talk to each other, but just be beside each other in such a present way. My last question for you is for you personally, having achieved so much and having hit so many milestones, do you still have the same hunger and curiosity? And do you feel the same drive or do you not? Like, I I wonder sometimes, like you sort of climbed to the top of a summit and now you're looking out and you're looking at the view. So does it ever feel like, (laughs) oh, I actually miss the feeling of the climb? Or do you feel like, no, (laughs) once I got to the top of the summit, I realized there was a whole nother mountain range. Like, where are you at in your own journey with that? I love that question because it, it just shows how all of our perceptions are so different. I mean, of course, <laughs> you're like, if you only knew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from my perspective, gosh, man, I, I would never perceive what I do and the sort of the professional place I'm in as sort of being at the summit and, and looking down. I'm not driven by an ambition to be bigger or to be richer or more well known at all. I mean, and I hope it doesn't sound stupid or silly to say that or disingenuous. I'm really not. I want to make things that I would listen to that I think are worth other people's time. So with how I built this, my goal, and I, and by the way, I've been doing this for 25 years. I get nervous every time I do an interview, every single time I've interviewed 20,000 people probably. And I still get nervous before every interview and I come as well prepared as I can. The reason why I'm nervous is because I want that conversation to be worthwhile for the people listening. The idea that I would waste someone's time, that I would ask you to give me an hour of your time to listen to my podcast or anything I do, and that you would walk away from that and say, that was a waste of my time is so painful to me that I I strain to make everything I do worth your time. Now, it's not always going to be the case, but that's the goal. That's the North Star. And so... What I want to do, what I try to do, whether it's how I built this or with the great creators, is to create content, to create stories and programs that are valuable for people, that that are free, that are available to anyone at any time. So, you know, if you are listening to how I built this and you can't afford business school, it's not going to be a substitute for it, but it's pretty good. It's pretty informative. These are very in-depth case studies. For the great creators, it's a similar kind of approach. I want people to walk away from those conversations and think, that really gave me ideas. Even though I didn't know Nick Kroll's work or I didn't even know the Chainsmokers music, but now that I understand their process and how they craft music or Stephen Colbert, how he approaches his characters, that's helped me think about what I want to do with my life or how I approach my life. And so that's what drives me. It's this idea of making things that people will find useful, whether a thousand people hear it or 10,000 people hear it, or 20 people hear it. Like that really, that's what drives me. And that's why I'll keep doing what I what I do because it actually makes me better at what I do. The more I do it and the more I branch out and think about different things, I actually get better at what I do. And it's like, what better way is there to be alive than to feel like you're getting better at what you do? It's so beautiful. And... It almost brought me to tears because it's so genuine and giving. You care that much about another human that even at this point, you're really just wanting to feel like you gave value to somebody else. And I remember when Gary Zukoff was on the show and I asked him a question about, you know, why 
we will sometimes feel effective or what makes things work. And he said, people think that there's something called cause and effect. But he said, what I have come to know is it's not cause and effect. It's the intention that creates the effect. And when the intention is so pure and so powerful, it equals a great effect. And so getting to spend this time with you and unpack what's what's inside of you, the intention is so pure and it's a really clean Wi-Fi signal. There's no <laughs> static in it. And I think that's why there's been such a massive effect. And so it's very cool because there's a lot of noise in the world. <laughs> and then there's you and there's people who are doing something that's not noisy. It's actually making a sound. It's actually making something that feels more like music. And I do have to say, my husband went to Anderson for business school, and then he also listened to your podcast. And he said, I didn't feel prepared at all to do anything entrepreneurial coming out of Anderson, but listening to how I built this, I feel like I got so much out of an hour. And I think, I think that's really a true statement for most people. So Thank you for all of this and your sweet smile. And um, tell us where we can find the great creators and all the other things and how we can just keep being a part of this. You can find the great creators wherever you get podcasts. It's available on any platform. If you subscribe to Wondery Plus or you are an Amazon Prime member and you listen through Amazon Music, you can hear it a week early. Otherwise, it comes out a week later, but it's always free for everybody across all platforms. And I hope you love it. I hope you love it as much as I, I've loved making it. We already love it. I'm like <laughs> so excited about everything you said. Thank you so much for today. It was awesome. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me on. The best. I always have so much fun talking with Guy and I learned so much from him. Here are the takeaways. Number one, the key to being a good leader is bringing people onto your team who will lead you too. Number two, creativity isn't a mysterious force that only some people can access. It's something that we have the power to mine and find. Number three, you have to take huge risks and get out of your comfort zone in order to grow. Number four, the creative world relies on collaboration. No one is writing something in a dark room by themselves. It always goes through other people who can weigh in on ideas. That's how the best ideas come about. Number five, when you have a group of people who feel secure and safe enough to throw out stupid ideas, you're going to come out with great ideas. Number six, you become a better interviewer, not through the questions you ask, but through the silence in those conversations. The more we get comfortable with it, the more we create connection. Number seven, when you're actively listening, you are honoring somebody's story. You're showing respect for their ideas. It's one of the most generous things we can do as people. And number eight, the more you branch out and think about things differently, you'll get better at what you do. And what better way is there to be alive than to feel like you're getting better at what you do? Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate that you're taking the time out of your very, very busy day to be here with me. We have so many good episodes coming up, so please make sure that you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or you're following us on Spotify. And we are doing a huge giveaway this month. If you go to kathyheller.com slash share, we're asking that you go ahead and subscribe and also review this podcast and you will be entered to win a MacBook Air. That's right, a brand new MacBook Air. And then there'll be a whole nother draw where we'll be drawing for a 90 minute coaching session with me and a trip to Los Angeles. Plus we'll be drawing for a $1,000 shopping spree. Why not? It's just so fun because I want to celebrate how much you support our show since the end of this month is international podcasting day. We will be drawing it on that day, September 30th. So go ahead and enter, just subscribe and review this show. And then let us know that you did so go to kathyheller.com slash share. And if you feel like sharing this podcast on your Instagram, you can tag me at kathy.heller and you can tag Guy Roz at guy.roz because it's going to mean so much to him to see that you guys enjoyed this. And last thing, before we go, we have 50% off. The seats are going fast. We are doing Kathy Heller and Friends Live October 20th and 21st. This is going to be held at the Grammy Museum Clive Davis Theater. It is an intimate setting. We will be just 200 of us in the audience and we will have the great honor of hearing performances from singer-songwriter Andy Grammer, Rachel Platten, and hearing beautiful conversations and wisdom from Amy Purdy, Candace Nelson, Mark Groves, Jerry Hawk and so many more amazing folks will be there. So go get your tickets. You can use the code gather to get 50% off. That is good through the end of this week. Go to kathyheller.com slash friends. I cannot wait to see you live in Los Angeles in this intimate 
beautiful setting. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you soon. If dreams are made of paper, let's make paper mache. We'll build a world together with our hands. And if hope is made of helium, we'll be like balloons and float away. Wouldn't that be grand? Nothing lasts forever, so we're all a little scared. But we're not giving up that easy, no, we wouldn't dare. Hey, hey, Mr. Sun, don't you set tonight. Tonight, cause we still got a million plans for the day.